This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You know what? That was the wrong intro, but it's okay. Welcome to Blackballed. My name is James D. Fiore. I almost played the intro there. This is actually kind of funny. Um, to uh, my, tomorrow's guest, which is Randy Hillier's lawyer, which is why it started off with police sirens. So uh, excuse me for that, guys. Um, listen, today we have Michael Geist on the show. And the reason why we have Michael Geist on the show is because the Trudeau government has decided that they would like to try again uh, with an internet... I guess censorship bill, I call it kind of a fuckery bill because what they're really trying to do is nothing like they're saying they're trying to do. And we'll get uh, Michael Geist to talk to us about that. We also have Ryan Lindley from the Sheeple Shepherd podcast. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, good. I, I'm, I'm kind of excited. Uh, I'm, thank you, by the way, for, for co-hosting me with me today. Uh, for sure. I'm, I'm in Toronto. This is why I have this weird... Dutch oh. background with all this stuff here and then that stuff that I hate with the glare off of the marble and everything. So we're going to we're going to deal with it as best we can. Well, you look handsome. That's all that matters. Well, thank you. I'm wearing a hat because I didn't shave and I don't want people to see my Millhouse's dad growth. You know, do you, do, oh, yeah. You know, I, what? I always I always leave. There's like a patch between like my ear and the back of my head that stays there for three days until Ashley says, um, stupid. You didn't yeah. shave your whole head. Dude, I have cut my ear shaving. <laughs> I, I don't know how I do it. We are capable, capable adults. Yes, we are. Um, so Michael Geist is our guest today. I'm going to intro him with this because I found this video today and I, I think it's hilarious and I want Michael's response to it. So uh, here we go. Cool. C11, the online streaming act, has been tabled. What does this bill do? It updates the broadcasting act that hasn't been changed since before dial-up internet. This levels the playing field between online streaming services like Netflix and other broadcasters in Canada. This does not apply to personal or individually uploaded content. It will promote English, French, and Indigenous cultures. What does this mean for Canadians? This bill will enhance the vitality of English and French communities in Canada, including supporting the production of content in both languages. It also provides opportunities for Indigenous persons to promote their cultures and languages. Ultimately, the streaming services we love, like Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, and others, as a broadcaster, will be subject to these new rules. And again, individual uploads or posts will not be affected. We've made sure to protect and uphold your freedom of speech. This has been Bell C11, the Online Streaming Act Explained. Michael, guys, no, that wasn't. That wasn't explained. <laughs> 
can you no, tell me? That, yeah, that was can, one explanation for it, but it's not a fully accurate can, explanation. Can you tell me what was wrong with that obvious promotional item of, I don't even know who that was. It, it seemed like a liberal MP, but I couldn't identify him. Um, but I mean, everything that he said seemed to be like the most rose colored glasses version of this bill. Can you welcome to the show and can you give us your version, um, which I dare say might differentiate just a tad from what you just heard? <laughs> yeah, I think it does. Uh, I probably pick up on three things uh, and we will probably spend the most of the time talking about how this bill fits in with respect to individual content. So mm -hmm. let's park that just to the side for just one moment, because there were a couple of other things that are notable there. One, he talks about the so-called level playing field between streamers and broadcasters. And, you know, the reality is that licensed broadcasters have a host of regulatory advantages. The idea that all you have to do is force everybody to pay something and suddenly it's a level playing field is nonsense. You know, ex existing broadcasters benefit from something known as simultaneous substitution, which is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They benefit from must carry rules, where if you get a cable package, you got a bunch of channels that you have to pay for whether you want them or not. There's a whole host of advantages they have. Streamers don't have that. So this idea that somehow we're just making it all equal, frankly, isn't true. The idea further that somehow this is now going to result in a ton more Canadian content, I don't think is fully accurate either. The reality is that the streamers like Disney and Netflix and others are already creating a lot of Canadian content. We just don't call it Canadian content under our existing system. It doesn't qualify. So if you've got Disney's Turning Red or Netflix's Just a Declin or Amazon's Feature on the Toronto Maple Leafs, all that feels like CanCon, but it isn't. Uh, and what we do get is a bunch of stuff that often does qualify as CanCon, including, for example, a documentary called Gotta Love Trump, which was nothing but a doc about <laughs> Trump and largely interviewed. Uh, That's an Alberta content States. thing, isn't it? <laughs> well, you'd think, but you know what? In some, it wasn't. It was actually largely there was interviews with Roger Stone appears on the thing, Candace Owens. I mean, it was it was U.S. in just about every name only other than a couple of gratuitous shots of B.C. Now, is is that because um, the the production crew, including the studio and the production company, they need to be universally Canadian, the director, all of that? Or or do they is it a percentage? No, it, it's a. You know, we've got we've got these rules that have been in place for a long time, and I'd say they're pretty outdated. So some things count and other things don't. The one that that is sort of a stop in terms of some of these large players actually making what it would be certified Canadian content is who produces or owns the owns the ultimate result. So we're going to say that you've got to have a Canadian producer or own this effectively to put yourself in the CanCon basket. But the reality is so so that these large streaming services are actually major investors in Canada. And sometimes they're creating stuff that just about any Canadian would look at that and say, sure, that feels like Canadian content. But it literally can't be CanCon based on the rules, whereas you can get something like I don't know, Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale series based on a well-known Canadian author that it, that it doesn't count as Canadian. And part of the reason it doesn't count is that the fact that the story is written by a Canadian doesn't count for the purposes of certified CanCon, which seems absolutely bananas. The idea that you'd have a book by a Canadian and the fact that it's a, a book authored by a Canadian is immaterial for certified CanCon, but that's our existing system. And the, so, and the majority of that production is filmed here. 
oftentimes that's the case but yeah you know that's my favorite game that's my favorite game when watching a movie is trying to figure out where in toronto it was filmed like really no and you get a lot of hamilton for uh for handmaid's tale i have a a a question it it might be a little simplification for how this is supposed to be do they push so my understanding is is it's to to push the algorithms to to on streaming services to to promote the canadian content so if i was a a video content creator and i created a, a video that a platform says i can put up saying that um horse paste and aged urine cures covid but as long as i'm using my stock video that was produced in Canada that will let them put it to the top of that heap, even though it's full of disinformation and full of, of uh, this bill is now going to protect that content. Is that what the aim is? Yeah. Well, so first off, this bill has really nothing to do with misinformation or inaccurate content. It it simply doesn't. And so this is a much more of a cultural bill as opposed to one that would deal with online harms or misinformation that may come from another bill. In terms of, of how the platforms will deal with and promote Canadian content, it's a, that's a more complicated question than you'd think. If we're talking about a curated streaming service, let's say a service like a Netflix, then one can well imagine that they could be subject to rules that would say you've got to do more promotion of the CanCon that's on your system. Reality is it's not that hard to find the CanCon on their system. You just type Canada and a whole bunch of stuff appears. But nevertheless, you could end up coming out of this with a requirement that they promote CanCon. It gets a lot more complicated once you get into the world of services like TikTok or YouTube or other kinds of podcasts, let's say, where for one thing, it's often not clear what counts as Canadian at all. We don't have a system that would identify whether a YouTuber is Canadian or not, um, or a TikToker happens to be Canadian. And we could think of a lot of examples where, you know, in this case, we've got a couple co-hosts that are in Canada, but if one was located not in Toronto, but let's say they were located in Boston right now, would that count as CanCon? If you're playing a Canadian video game as a Twitch streamer, is that count as CanCon? If you're a Canadian YouTuber, but you're now based in Los Angeles, does that count as CanCon? We don't even know. I mean, there are no rules for that. But, and here's, I think, where it starts getting harmful to many of the many digital first creators. Even if we had a system of identifying Canadians and then the CRTC told a platform like a YouTube or a TikTok, say, you've now got to promote uh, those ca- that, that content on your system. You got to tweak your algorithm in effect to ensure that that content appears more frequently. The problem with that is that the YouTube algorithm when it's trying to determine what's popular content or what's content that people want to see, looks as much as what people click on, but it also looks at what people don't click on. And so they're making all of those judgment calls. What did you click on? But what are all the other kinds of things that you saw that you could have chosen, but you didn't? Now, if by way of a regulator, the decision is made to post a whole bunch of stuff that YouTube knows is unlikely to be clicked on. Well, because it's there, not because the user necessarily wants it, but because the CRTC said you need to put that kind of content up before the user. The problem is that YouTube, of course, is a global platform. And so while Canadians may see more of that content, the rest of the world is now likely to see less because the message that YouTube gets whenever that was showed in Canada 
was that people didn't think it was all that interesting. And so suddenly it gets far less promotion and play on a global basis. If you're a digital first creator, where let's say 90% of your audience and your ad revenues coming from outside the country, you're trading greater promotion in Canada for far less promotion in the United States. And we've got a system that's actually going to harm Canadian creators. Yeah. Sounds very protectionist. It, 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 it sounds like faux protectionism though, because yeah. there, there, there's a part of it where I'm like, <clears throat> it seems like um, the algorithm for YouTube has more of a say than I do in what I watch. Like, I mean, I, I could just ignore the algorithm which I often do. I find it strange that YouTube will often ask me to select videos that I've already watched all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, so I guess, I guess, you know, your algorithm, listen, I, I had a uh, Nathaniel Erskine Smith, and I know that you've spoken with him many times. Um, and we talked about algorithms specifically. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm finding it a little bit um, annoying that we start our conversations when we talk about online content where we just have, we're operating from the assumption that the algorithm is there to do whatever the fuck it wants to do. And we're at the mercy of that algorithm. And then we start talking about Canadian content and all that. Aren't we missing the biggest problem, which is the algorithm itself? Well, listen, I don't think anybody is suggesting that there aren't vested interests in the kind of things that we see and that the algorithm is playing a role here. And I think that, you know, the extent to which we move towards things like greater algorithmic transparency so that we can better identify how these choices are being made, what's being prioritized and the like, those I think would unquestionably be a positive. And it's one of the reasons I've been discouraged that we haven't seen Canada move forward with some of its privacy legislation, because those rules envisioned actually enhanced transparency when it comes to algorithms. But at the same time, I do think that there are differences between, so let's say, some of the curated services in particular and their algorithms and the choices that are made, let's say, in a conventional broadcaster like a CTV or, or a global. I mean, the whole idea behind discoverability for the most part stems from an era where much of the Canadian content that you saw on conventional television was there because it had to be there, right? The broadcasters were required to air a certain amount of Canadian content, and so they put it on, but they never gave it much priority because it wasn't as profitable as the U.S. stuff. So it moved around on the programming schedule. It didn't get a lot of promotion. And Canadian creators said, you know, we need, a, we need to do a better job of ensuring that people can find this content. They might like it if they did. The problem is that when you move that into, say, a Netflix world, now, of course, Netflix is going to make some of its own choices when it comes to the algorithm. But at the very top of the list is in a highly competitive streaming world. I mean, especially now where you've got a whole series of different choices and you can walk away from any of them tomorrow if you want. It's not like cable where you feel oftentimes that you feel stuck. Their incentive is to show you stuff that they think you are going to like. And if you demonstrate based on your actual viewing habits that what you like is Canadian content. They both have the incentive to ensure that it's part of their library and to, to, to ensure that you, you know that it's, it's there and available. And so their incentives are quite different from the incentives that conventional broadcasters have, yet there's an attempt to try to bring that same kind of concept into the online world, even though I don't think it really applies all that well. Mm. Yeah, the online world, it was supposed to free us from the type of guidelines that they're now trying to impose on the internet, right? Like, <clears throat> you know, the whole point, 
from where, where look I, I was in high school when the internet came out uh i i was maybe 22 when i started using the internet on a regular basis and and the thing that made me want to use the internet was the complete lack of regulation that that was and i recognized it immediately you know i i didn't have to watch commercials if i didn't want to i could download things you know before downloading was like really kind of um you know enforced uh, you know when when companies started learning how to like make people not download things and when metallica sued napster right yeah. you know and and all that kind of stuff and then um and, and then the uh the whole internet laws that tried to come out what was that what was that law the the famous phrase um uh fair internet what was it called uh, well, the, the, fair the fair play the in canada the fair play initiative for site blocking you mean, that the or? fair play initiative but there was also some, something else um and it was just a phrase that they used to describe internet laws and and how to and 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 companies that were going subscription and things like that um and and so the, for a while they were they were saying that we were going to start paying for our internet the same way we paid for our ca our cable bill mm -hmm. and we would have only certain sites that we would be able to go to and things like that and i'm like what are you doing you're you're messing up the exact thing about the internet that everyone loves and they're still doing it and and they're hiding under this canadian content thing look louis ck just won a grammy um for a best comedy album because he posted it onto his website not because he posted anywhere else. So if you wanted to find Louis C.K., you had to go to his site. You had to actually, I know this is crazy for a lot of people, but punch in louisck.com to find Louis C.K. content. Mm -hmm. We are all in this weird place now where it's like the only place that we seem to be able to find anything are Twitter and Facebook. And and the companies are, are, are saying, well, that's their habits. So we're going to make it so that... Um, we almost, it's almost a non-choice to go directly to the source. And even when you do Netflix, have you ever gone to your wife's account or something in Netflix instead of your own? And you realize that there were like dozens of movies you didn't even know were on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you can't even look up Netflix alphabetically. Yeah. You they know? designed like, those social media companies have designed it to keep you there and make it a one-stop shop. And that's, that's exactly what their business model was to attract the, the sponsors and the, the, the advertisers to their like we're going to keep them here as long as we can and it's working like you just said there people are, are oh I don't know where to see anything like it's almost like they're zombified into this is the only place I can watch something is right here and it's you're right nobody just types in a website anymore they go to Google nobody you know like it's 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 a it's a uh, conditioning like we've all been conditioned how to use the internet yeah, I think you're referring there. Sorry, I think you're referring there to net neutrality. That's what I was that's referring to. Yeah, that's the one. Thank right. you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I still don't really know what it is, but it doesn't sound like I can't remember if I was for or against it. That's how much I know yeah. about net neutrality. I'm going to hope that you were for it. And the, <laughs> yeah. the whole idea behind net neutrality was that you treated content equally. I mean, in a sense, mm -hmm. it's almost what that politician tried to suggest that somehow it's a level playing field. That actually around net neutrality truly was a level playing field. The idea that you would treat all content, regardless of its source, in an equal fashion so that, for example, if you were a subscriber, let's say you used Bell as your subscribe as your Internet service provider, they couldn't speed up their own streaming service. They couldn't speed up Crave or uh, CTV itself and, or slow down a competitor service like a Disney or a Netflix. And so right. you would you would get all of that on an equal basis. And at the time, there were real concerns that the large Internet providers had the economic incentives to do exactly that, to, in a sense, prefer some of their own content over other kinds of content. And and but this bill actually. So why is it that we're so um, prone in this country 
to almost infantilize Canadian content producers to the point where it's like, like, it's almost like we were, we're treating Canadian content people as like the minor leagues, you know, and we want to get our players to go to the show, even if they're not ready. So we're going to pretend that they're talented enough to get to the show, hope (laughs) that we really want them to sign our baseball cards and then pretend that they're all-stars. But I don't really care to watch corner gas. Um, And that doesn't make me a bad Canadian, but it feels like (laughs) when these new bills come out and they start being debated that it's, it's like, there's only one way to look at it. And it's like, don't you want to have indigenous voices heard? it's like, that's the wrong question. I think that I think that the, the, the way in the modern times, as far as I'm concerned, that you get your voices heard is the act of posting it. And everything else is kind of up to you and up to viewers that want to share it because they think it's good. But why we have to like, because the implication is that it's not as entertaining. Really, just by making bills like this, they're almost saying, we know our content ain't that great. So we're going to try to force you to watch it. It's we're like a doing participation the, well, trophy yes. is what it feels like. That's it's exactly like everybody is. gets included and and they're not forcing you how to how to watch things or they're not forcing you to watch things, but they're they're they they're taking advantage of that algorithm that we're we're speaking about here and they're directing it towards you and and yeah, you have the free will to watch whatever you want, but at the same time, they're going to put it in your face. And you're right, it does. It feels very coerced and very subsidized and i i i'm not a i'm not a fan of that i don't i don't think i think things stand on their merit i i work hard at what i do for content and i don't want just because i'm canadian it to be boosted in my country but at the same time i don't want americans because i i have an american following i don't want americans to lose out on if they want to watch what i'm doing if they don't want to watch it they don't watch it i i just i i, I this feels this feels weird yeah, and and I do think I, I think you're onto something with that. That this just does. There's something about this that just doesn't feel right. And in fact, the reality is that there is no other country anywhere in the world that has tried to take this kind of policy measure and apply it to user generated content, to kind of the digital first stuff. There are countries that have used some of these kinds of rules when it comes to curated services. So they said, listen, Netflix, you're going to operate in the country. We want you to spend a certain amount locally. We want you to promote some of our local content. And so that's, and the argument there is that you, that a service like a Netflix feels a lot more like a conventional broadcaster. So we want some of those same kinds of rules to apply. Very much. Yeah. But nobody, nobody, literally nobody thinks it's appropriate to apply those kinds of measures into a user generated content world. And, and, and there's good reason for that because it isn't because you can't even, first of all, it's very hard to identify even who counts for those purposes. And even if you could, the idea that you're going to have a regulator start making some of those kinds of calls by virtue of the government saying, we'd like you to make those calls, I think is viewed by a lot of people as problematic. And at the top of the list right now, frankly, is some of the most successful Canadian cultural exporters. And those are digital first creators who have massive global audiences, are generating serious coin doing it. And basically, they're just begging the government to just get out of the way. I think a guy's not like Brittle Star. Brittle Star is a great example of that. Like, like he, same thing. It's he's gonna somebody like him with his platform is gonna get affected by something like this. It just I don't see George Lucas producing a film and uploading it to Netflix. You know, like like that's not how this works. Ex- except for maybe Howard the Duck. 
because <laughs> how they're treating this, you know, like it just you're right. There's no there's no balance between the the major motion picture studio um, venue that hosts these um, productions as opposed to a YouTube where we're sitting right now on YouTube and on Twitter and on Twitch and on everywhere else. So level playing field is not you're right. It's not the right descriptor for this at all. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Yeah. And also no, I, the the can sorry Michael go ahead no no I was gonna say go ahead um, I was gonna say just that the it almost seems a little bit elitist because if the CanCon rules for what determines whether or not content is a Canadian production is based around ownership okay well then I guess Robert Lantos and a few other big producers will be considered Canadian content and then all of a sudden you know uh, like we were saying before when the the entire crew is Canadian, the cast could be entirely Canadian, the writer and director could be Canadian, but if that production outlet isn't, all of a sudden it's not Canadian, then why are we deferring to owners? Why are we deferring to the richest people in that pyramid of a of a movie cast? Like, who's well, going to explain we, that to us? Because we've got outdated policies that date back decades. In fact, it gets even worse, quite frankly. We've also got Canada has a whole series of what are known as co-production agreements with other countries where we actually expressly acknowledge that the, the content as part of this co-production deal is going to have not a lot of Canadian content. It can be actually a very small amount of Canadian content, but we'll still treat it as CanCon because it fits within this treaty arrangement. So you can get a movie such as Heaven, H-E-V-N. It's a Norwegian film. Uh, it's in Norwegian, and yet it counts as certified Canadian content because it fit within the co-production deal. And, I, you know, I'm not one to say that we shouldn't be finding ways to help promote the creation of Canadian content and ensure that there are Canadian stories. I do think that it's important to, to ensure whether it's Indigenous stories or other stories, those stories do get made and are available. But we got to stop pretending that we have a system that actually achieves that. It doesn't come close. And surely that's the right place to start if we're going to blow up the Broadcasting Act and say that we're doing it to ensure that there are those stories. How about we have a policy that gets us there and then figure out, do we need to make some changes to help try to pay for it? Do we not already have some sort of legislation in place? And, and I don't know if it's on a federal, provincial or a municipal level where these studio we'll say a studio production do, do they not get incentives to use local already like and, and like is that not already something we're already doing where that actually puts money into the economy and makes a tangible difference in the production and in the value of a canadian production uh, this just seems very performative and the way that they're spinning it in their uh explanations like we watched that video there they're very heavy on the don't worry it's not your facebook videos that you upload and it's not your youtube or not your 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 twitter videos that you you put on your facebook live or whatever it just it almost seems like a distraction to the actual damage this is going to cause to revenue generating content creation 
And it, so that people like the, the, the average person that doesn't have a show like this or a show like the Dean Blundell show. Um, so they're like, well, it doesn't really bother me. I'm not really going to change anything I do. So I don't really care, but they should. I, I think they absolutely should listen. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's two, the two pieces I want threads that I want to pull on there. One is the economic issue, you know, about how do we ensure there are more people working in the sector and get employment and economic activity. And if that's the basis for this legislation on the film and t- television production side, then that really makes no sense. We've had record amounts of investment in this sector in Ontario, they denounced just a week or so ago. Last month, uh, Quebec said they had record amounts. We're seeing tons of money come in. A lot of it's foreign money. In fact, there is so much film and TV production right now that it's gotten expensive to produce in Canada, and some stuff is getting just squeezed out because of the cost. So this isn't going to result in more because we're already going flat out with an enormous amount of activity taking place. So, you know, I don't think the economic arguments work all that work work at all here. So that's mm-hmm. why we end up flipping to the cultural side. Just other one quick thing because it, it it really kind of it it bothers. I have to say because you do see this MP isn't an outlier consistently we see from supporters of this legislation the suggestion that don't worry you as an individual are not going to get regulated and it's as you hear that it is a highly misleading comment because nobody has said the individual is getting regulated what what i've said what other people who've looked at the bill have said is that their content could be subject to regulation so the individual doesn't necessarily get pulled out before the crtc but if their content is treated as a program that is subject to potential regulation not that the crtc is going to say that you can't air it so to speak on the internet but they could impose some of these discoverability rules and then it kind of gets caught up in those sorts of rules there there's no question but that that does get captured and especially that it's quite clear quite frankly if we're talking about podcasts let's say with a, a direct or indirect commercial benefit legislation is pretty explicit that yes this stuff gets caught by by that and the idea that we ought to have the crtc come in and see that as a program equivalent to what we would typically think of in the broadcast world as a program, I think for a lot of people strikes us as problematic, especially when the government keeps insisting, you know, look away, there's nothing to see here. Yeah, because I mean, they're splitting hairs, really, right? Like, James, we're not banning you, but we're banning your episode of Blackballed. Yeah. That's really kind of what they're saying. Wouldn't it be something like that? Like, well, of course, you're not banning me. And also, I, I, I mean, I am not one. It's funny because Ryan and I, we talked about this in the last podcast when, um, when we were talking about the whole Will Smith, Chris Rock thing and how some people were calling uh, like in a free speech issue where comedians were being shut down and all that. And, and we both kind of agree that it had nothing to do with free speech. This feels like it, it. there could be a free speech argument because we're trying to like post content and a lot of it is commentary and it's and it's us sharing our opinions. And though that might be the exact thing that the government then might try to step in and regulate why is it a broadcast issue but not a free speech issue? Well, I do think that there are elements of free speech here, to be fair. I mean, it's a broadcast issue because this is a reform to the Broadcasting Act. Are there implications for freedom of expression? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that what we ought to recognize is that broadcasting, especially where you where you create limitations on what people can broadcast or say or things like that, come out of an era where there were a limited number of channels, a limited amount of spectrum. And so 
the, the, the view was that it was fair public policy to say we can create some limits because it's a real privilege to be one of the few that has that spectrum, that, has, that has, is, has some of those channels. And so we need to act in the broader best interests of everyone. The internet, it's much tougher, of course, to make that kind of argument because anyone can have a mic and access to the net and um, can go out and see if they can find an audience as well. And so the arguments that we need to apply the same kinds of rules, I think, fall apart pretty quickly where, especially to the extent to which we relied upon scarcity as one of the rationales for regulating that expression. And make no mistake, broadcasting regulation is regulating expression. It's just seen as, as an appropriate kind of regulation for a number of different reasons. I think it's a much harder case to make in this environment that we ought to regulate expression. And again, not to say that the CRTC is about to regulate or try to ban anything. I don't think they are. As Can part they of ban themselves? Can they just ban themselves, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big fan. Uh, I'm not a big I've, fan either. And you've got, and in fact, actually just, I thought it was almost like an April Fool's joke. You just had the chair of the CRTC give a speech on on Friday. They posted it uh, on the that's commission's website That's the former website CEO today. of Sprint, right? Or, or Bell or something? Uh, yeah, former TELUS executive. Oh, you know, right. Uh, yeah. who, who literally said, listen, I'm all for C11. I think it's great. And, you know, we're going to go ahead. And I, I kind of like, listen, this it's, it's not flag. your role as an independent agent to sound off on whether or not you're supportive of legislation or not. Right. How can you how can you possibly be seen as independent on these issues when you're out there literally advocating for exactly these kinds of approaches? Yeah, it's a partisan issue and they're 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 making their voice known. Can I ask you a question Michael just cuz you're 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 so well versed in this and you're so I I I respect your opinion. Back to the, my original question about uh, um the the content um, as opposed to the, you know, uh, what was used in the content to, to make it, to make it. So do you think there, that we've, we've crossed a bridge in society and this is an international issue, obviously, when it comes to the, the spread of disinformation and, and does the government have a role or should they have a role somewhere in the, in the control of that and the, the trying to, to stomp it out a bit? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and I think the answer is, it's obvious that there is a significant problem when it comes to misinformation. The government did last year put forward a series of proposals as part of a consultation on how it was going to deal with it called what it called online harms. The It got roundly criticized, frankly, from people from across the spectrum, uh, even those groups that it thought would be supportive expressed real concern about what the government had in mind. So, you know, I think that it's now created a new expert panels going back to the drawing board a little bit. So I think we could first say that, yes, there's, there is a role for public policy and for government here. But secondly, I think we ought to recognize that this is exceptionally difficult to come up with policies that both preserve freedom of expression, but also address some of the obvious harms. I do think, for example, there is a real role to ensure that the large platforms themselves are accountable for what to, for for what they promise they will do on their platforms. So, you know, you get many of these platforms saying we've got these different policies in place, we'll enforce these policies. But I think everybody knows that they're pretty inconsistent when it comes to how they apply those policies and when they apply those policies. And and I think it, it's should be pretty straightforward that if you're putting yourself out as saying that, you know, this you're going to take the following steps to deal with 
let's say misinformation, and you're going to, if found to be misinformation, take steps to block or remove that kind of content. If you fail to live up to the kind of policies that you've put forward, surely there ought to be some accountability associated with that. And so that's certainly one place where I think the government can get involved. I think privacy is another. I think competition is another. Tax policy is yet another. It's not as if this is about not regulating these platforms. Um, but I think we need to be going at the foundational concerns here. And rather than, than what might be seen as the symptoms. And misinformation strikes me as a symptom of a broader problem of underlying problems when it comes yeah. to things like how they use our data or the competition related concerns or the lack of accountability deal with those issues. And then we can talk as to whether or not there needs the to Cambridge be something Analytica's more from content. And the, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> they, they should also only allow, I, someone should step up in the house and maybe like suggest an amendment or something that allows that, that forces non-humans out of deciding what's Canadian content. Like, like, um, someone told me once, um, who, who the, the, the company that gives, uh, royalties to musicians. So can, so can, oh, yeah, I'm the recipient of one. So can check that I never cashed cause it was only for a dollar 12, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> sure it was but, a great song. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, but the idea that like, um, an algorithm is deciding for us. So can used to be like, apparently was like one guy in an, in a very small office, who had the gargantuan task of, of of reading with his own eyes the lists of all the different radio stations that had put in their their cream list for what they had that was Canadian content versus wasn't, and it was just a human. That's why SoCan checks took so long to get to people, like months and months and months after your song was on the air, because it was like a dude. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying one guy should do it. There should be a team of monkeys doing it, probably. But like, you know. The idea that algorithms are going to decide this for us, um, this isn't even a question. I just think it's ridiculous. One, But one thing I want to ask, Michael, that I didn't understand when I was reading some of the details of the bill and then some of your commentary on the bill was the section that dealt with the CRTC that could not be shared with the public until it received royal yeah. assent. What did that mean? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you raised that. Yeah. So I'm going to get angry now, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So one of the concerns with this bill is that you can make the case that it's actually just half a bill, that it spells out a bunch of the kinds of things that are there, but a lot of the details are are yet to come. So when the government, for example, says that video games are not included, that's not in the bill. When the government says they don't want to regulate digital first creators, that's not in the bill. When the government says they want to limit it to large streaming services and not target the literally thousands of streaming services around the world that may have a small Canadian presence, that's not in the bill. So what they say is they are going to put forward a policy direction to the CRTC, effectively instructing the regulator, here's what we really intend, so that when the CRTC comes around to establishing some of these more specifics and some of these rules, they'll have the government's view on board. The problem is the government's position is that they will only make that available once the legislation has received royal assent, once it's been passed by the House and the Senate. In other words, it's basically a trust us approach. Pass this legislation, pass it in the House, legal? pass it in the show Senate, you the whole thing. and then we'll tell you the rest of what we really intend. It's like going to a strip club and she makes you pay up front. I, it's, I don't, I don't <laughs> like that sort of government. I don't like that in a democracy. I don't like, I don't like the, the, the lack of transparency in this is what makes me nervous. And not even as a content creator, just as a Canadian citizen watching a law, because we don't pay attention to every bill that goes through. 
And this one obviously caught my eye. And I don't like that this happens. And this probably happens a hell of a lot more than we even know if that's the case. And that's that that makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure Part- out. I'm, I'm trying to understand it. Like, I, 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 why is it allowed? Like, why, why are we not allowed to know the policy directives of an actual bill until after? Like, is, has it been written yet? Is it redacted somewhere? Like, I don't understand why this is even something that's allowed in our system. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really fair question. I, I should note that uh, under the last bill, C-10, you'll recall the predecessor to this, mm-hmm. the, there was the same kind of criticism and the government tried to, to sort of put that out a little bit by putting forward the policy direction. It didn't say very much, though, frankly, kind of just repeated what was in the bill. And so we were left with many of the same questions. Their approach this time is to say even that was a mistake. Even that was too much transparency. And so they won't, you know, basically they're saying we won't be making that mistake again and we will wait until all of this is done. And I have to say that this bill was debated that we're talking about. C-11 was debated in the floor of the House of Commons just in the last week or so. And you did have yet one of the liberal MPs give up, give a pretty lengthy speech about this policy direction issue. And and it felt as if it was almost being treated as this kind of almost get out of jail free card. It was like, if you're concerned about this issue, well, don't worry, because there's still going to be a policy direction. You're concerned about that. Don't worry. There's still going to be a policy direction. And and that's just not good. Right? If you're concerned about this bill, don't worry. There's going to be something that we can't tell you about until after it's passed. That's what they I mean, said. It makes absolutely no sense at all. It's almost as though they're, they're and, and we've seen this a lot, especially in the last two years, they're governing by temperature. And maybe they don't have it written. And maybe it's one of those, let's put a little bit out, see how people react. Okay, Trial well, balloon with legislative process. Yeah. Isn't that, and it's disgusting. That's not how this works. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. No, so. it's not how it should. It's not how it should work. Listen, I, there are some issues that they've been consistent on. They've said they don't want, for example, to regulate uh, video games, and so I assume there will be some sort of wow in the heroes. policy direction of Just video heroes, games, ladies around. and gentlemen. You know, <laughs> but let's be clear on digital first creators, Actors which they now democracy. say they would like to include as as one of the exceptions. Truth of the matter is, this was not even an issue on their radar screen until digital first creators started speaking out, saying, hold on a second, this is actually going to hurt us. And you had before committee and actually on my own podcast, uh, comedian Darcy Michael come on and say, listen, I've seen I've generated now a couple million subscribers on TikTok in the span of a number in in about a year, year and a half. this is now full-time revenue. My partner's able to now work, devote full-time to this. We're really succeeding here. Stay the hell out of my business, in effect. I don't want you involved in some of these issues. And yet you had on the floor of the House of Commons recently one MP saying that these digital-first creators were just parroting YouTube talking points as opposed to taking the concerns of digital-first creators seriously. I, I, I'm just, I, I need to figure out something out because I, I want to know what, what their motivation could be. And I'm not asking you to be psychic and speak for the liberal government, but if we were to take it and just use the exact same situation as a hypothetical to some other government, 
what would some of the like speculative um, motivations be? Is it like to to appease the big broadcasters because they're donors? Is it to impact Canadian content because it will help you politically? Who are they answering or what problem are they trying to fix? What's their motivation? If, like, I mean, you don't have to say the Liberals' motivation is this, but maybe just dangle something up in the air so that we can all kind of come up with our own speculative reason for that, that they might be trying to do this. Because I, for one, can't figure it out. I, I can't understand what their motivation is to want to put this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I don't think it's a, I, the, the, the desire to satisfy broadcasters comes tomorrow, actually, with a bill that they're about to introduce when it comes oh. to newspaper, which was supposed to be newspapers, but now will apparently also include companies like Bell and the CBC as being able to, to basically create a shakedown of companies like Google and Facebook to get money for news on their pl- on news that appears on those platforms. So that's broadcasters get that potentially even tomorrow uh in terms of this piece of legislation i guess it depends i think from in the netflix world there is a whole sector um you know the can con sector that is accustomed to a highly regulated space that then results in new kinds of in a pot of money that allows for content to be created irrespective of whether it finds large audiences it's kind of it's there to help foster this creativity they want a larger pot and this is seen as a source of increasing the amount of money that would be made available. And so it's it's satisfying some of those groups that have been vocal so, in terms of the of the inclusion of, let's say, a YouTube or the user generated content sites. They're actually pretty point blank about that. That's being driven by largely the Quebec based music lobby that was upset that the original bill did not include those platforms. And they want to ensure that those platforms pay up in the same way that uh, a Netflix would. And the minister minister doesn't hide it. He's He uses the same example all the time. He says, you know, if I listen to a song from The weekend on Spotify and I listen to the same song on YouTube, surely the payments ought to be the same. Now, note that this isn't licensing. It's licensed, in this, it's licensed on both of those platforms, but they want these additional payments coming out of the platforms. And so basically says, if we're forcing Spotify to pay, we ought to be forcing YouTube to pay too. Hmm. Are we forcing Spotify to pay or is Spotify, are you talking about the individual artists that get streamed on Spotify? Like an ASCAP no. thing or? Yeah, no, no, no. So, so and, and let's be clear. There is already licensing fees that are paid and you can debate as to whether or not it's enough, but nevertheless, um, there are licensing fees that are paid. This whole bucket here is in addition to all of that. It's not that they're paying for the rights to, for the streams of the music. They're paying essentially for the right to do business in Canada. And so as part of doing business in Canada, in the cultural sector, they're expected to contribute back into that sector by making these additional payments that can then go and help the creation of additional content. I I saw that episode on Sopranos. (laughs) Wow. That's right. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I wish I was smart enough to argue really strenuously against this bill, <laughs> but but you I get know so. What it is. How can I, we argue exa- against? Well, that's what I mean. I, I'm so confused by it, and I'm so kind of annoyed. I, look, I, I'm uh, I'm about to say something that that a lot of people, especially I guess in Quebec, are going to like be like, "Wow, what a hardcore, rabid conservative he is." But I I I've always thought that. Um, the grant system and the subsidization of artists in this country was like 
pretty ridiculous because it, it always, cause I, I've been an artist. I, I still am. You know, I, I've never, it, the thought didn't even cross my mind to go and find free money for me to promote my art. I've never even thought of that before. And it's not because I'm such a crazy libertarian. It's because I find it ridiculous. It's like an athlete who's sometimes not, maybe not, and just an average athlete just getting money to train. Like, I don't understand it. Like, it's not like this money always finds its way to the most talented artists. We're talking like people that get 50 grand for playing the harp. Seriously. Yeah. And so I'm confused as to where, that's like part of our, our culture now is this welfare system for artists. And I, I don't know. I could, I don't understand what the, uh, like I know that video fact grants were highly politicized back in the day. Like in the early 2000s, you used to see who would be deciding on the board. I'm not going to name any names, Farley Flex, but there would be people <laughs> that would be deciding, um, you know, hip hop grants, for example, and, um, and their buddies would win. Amazing how that would happen. You know, like there was no conflict of interest expressed just because you used to manage that guy, I guess, doesn't put tilt anything in his favor, but it often did. Um, and we're like, and now we're deciding that we want to feed that monster even more. That's the idea. That's, that's like lassoing. And it's almost like they missed the days of payola yeah, because that's no longer a thing. So they had to figure out a way to get it happening again. It's, I, I, I agree to an extent with what you say, James, about the um, about the grants. Just because you didn't do it doesn't mean you didn't have the opportunity, and you maybe you should have, and maybe maybe it would have helped. I you tried, but Farley foster. Flex gave it to his buddy instead. <laughs> this is what I mean. <laughs> so maybe we should fix the systems that are already in place before we go adding more shit to the top of that pile, just making it a bigger mess. You know, like. This this entire industry has seemed very. It's a there's a very large disconnect between the government to the the governing bodies, the the legislative bodies, and the actual industry itself. It's almost like they've never shook hands. They've put like like Michael said, we've put the CRTC, which is supposed to be a, a non non partisan body, uh, in there to to and that's clearly not the case. And we, we kowtow and we bow to, to corporate uh, media overlords in, in all of North America, frankly. And we take direction from them. Uh, or we take advice on policy from them, which is something that we shouldn't be doing. This is a lobbyist thing. This is, it's an absolute mess. So, uh, and, and you're right. I don't know how to be mad at it because I don't fucking understand the entire thing at all. Yeah. Even with my, like, I read Michael's piece that, that he had put out. It was fantastic. It was great. And I I had to read it three times because I, I'm like, am I missing something here? And, and then I realized, no, I'm not because Mike, Mike isn't either. Mike's, Mike's trying to make sense of something that we don't have all the pieces to. So, but I, I appreciate it because it did add clarity to the fog that it was already. Yeah. <laughs> At least I could see a little bit of the headlights now. Um, uh, Michael, we're going to let you go soon, but just one last question. Do you know when this bill is expected to reach the Senate? Oh, we're still a long way away from that. Uh, okay, good. So, so we have time to shit on it for absolutely. It's and just send Dean it, Blundell in as, as a delegate with James. It is, yeah. it is still <laughs> a second. It's still a second reading. There's going to be committee hearings, I assume in the springtime. So this is uh, one of the deals that Jag Mead probably made with Justin, right? Like for actually, it's funny you say that no, uh, or at least not officially. Uh, is he going to be a man? Is he going to be a man this time? Please well, be a man. 
<laughs> I think that it might be pushing. Listen, the, the NDP's been on side with this, these issues, so perhaps they didn't feel mm-hmm. the need to make this one of the priorities. But well, interestingly, the digital policy issues was not one of the things that they focused on in that letter. Which I, I don't think that suggests that they've changed their views. I think they'll be supportive of the legislation, but uh, I also think that both the NDP and the Bloc, quite frankly, who are generally supportive, have been surprised at some of the criticisms that some of the creators, podcasters, others have been making and want to find some kind of solution. So, you know, hope springs eternal that perhaps there's still a possibility of some changes. Indeed it does. Uh, Dr. Michael Geist, you're at the University of Ottawa. You're on leave right now, right? No, I think that's just an outdated web page. <laughs> I'm still around. <laughs> okay. Well, either way, um, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. We'll yeah, probably really see you on the Dean Blundell podcast you. sometime this week. I'll hook you up with Dean and you guys can figure that out. But thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure. Had a good time. Thank okay. you. Have thank a good you. one. Take care, guys. You too. Wow. What a mess. I know. Michael's doing okay. He's not that much of a mess. <laughs> no, you know what? And I thought, you know what? I thought I was actually very... Um, enthusiastic about coming on tonight because I thought, okay, I'm so fucking confused about this. He's going to help me. And he, like I say, he turned the headlights on, but it's the road is still foggy. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Like it wasn't like he was bad at explaining it, but really when you think about like that, that, that we can't tell you anything until after it's passed bullshit. Right. (laughs) What is that? That that was a steep, that doesn't that just sound like a Stephen Harper idea? It, it it really does. It's we're gonna hide this, and I, and I'm I'm still gonna stick with that uh, that that theory about the like you say the trial balloon. Like like we're gonna float it. We have it written, but we just can't tell you about it. Okay, say something. Did they like it? That's in there. Say something. They didn't like it. That's not in there. You know, <laughs> yeah, like it's right? it's almost like they're writing it on the fly. It's like, yeah, it does is... feel like that. Um, yeah. there is a that that guy whoever that was that I had in that video at the beginning there. Um. Mm. When he was saying um, the Broadcast Act hasn't been updated since be- since dial-up, yeah, the thought that went through my mind was good. I don't think the internet should touch any Broadcast Act. No, I don't know why the CRTC has anything to do with it. It's not it's not radio and it's not television. It's the internet, right? And I'm not asking for more um, governing bodies. I'm not asking for a Canadian internet regulating authority. The opposite. I- exactly but at the same time if we're if we're gonna attack or if we're gonna if we're gonna micromanage shit because that's what we do in this country with a government and no matter what we say we can say it's wrong but that's what we do mm-hmm. at least go after the fucking right thing like start with these 8chan style places that serve up kitty porn and and hate I think it's 4chan and, oh there's an 8chan now 4chan got Twice as bad. Eight chan is just twice as bad. That's kind of it, right? It's that little midget guy in the wheelchair that um, that used to he used to run it, and he sold it to the the pedophile from uh, that lives in Japan now. Well, I'm glad to see all of the minority groups are being aptly represented (sighs) in the Chinese community. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, you have no idea. Like I, I I just watched this that Into the Storm about um, they're trying to figure out who uh, Q QAnon guy is, and they talk about the founding of Four Chan and Eight Chan and. It's um so if we're going to talk about regulation and we're going to talk about you know cracking down on certain things why are we doing this Well yeah I don't understand look there's so many contradictions in our society when it comes to certain things anyways like mm-hmm. you can't say the word shit on CTV That's fine I guess that that's the way you want to do it However 
if you're 12 years old and you have a cell phone, you have 24-7 access to pornography on the internet. Isn't that something? <laughs> you know? Okay. But you can't say shit. No. So, DP, good, if you're 12, <laughs> hearing the word shit, bad, apparently. I don't know. Bukaki Festival, 12, okay. Yeah, yes. Saying tits, not okay. What? No, you can't say tits. You can only watch them get covered in something. I, I got to stop. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm too far. Speaking of, speaking of egregious sexual um, uh, things, uh, you, you mentioned Louis C.K. earlier today. And yeah. I'm, it's funny, I'm having, some, I'm having some real, real big, big feelings about Twitter right now. And I'm not. Yeah. You know what I hate about Twitter? Did you see this? Is this what you're talking about? How can Louis C.K. win a Grammy, but Will Smith get banned from the Oscars? And it's like... Uh, Is Will Smith sending him a fruit basket for the fucking absolute pass he's getting now? Right. I, he better send him something really nice. Be like, hey, bro, <laughs> thanks for winning. You know, I look like a fucking angel now. Like, it's... I don't... And and I when we first talked about me coming on your show, yeah. we said that, oh, it'll be great because we have, you know, usually differing views on, on, on some things. It's nice to have that banter back and forth. I think we're on the same page on this one. Oh, do you know my page yet on this one? I, I, I can I can I can take a very, very Go well ahead. founded guess and that's um Louis CK asked some people if he could show them his dick and jerk off in front of them. Yes. Then they said either yes or no. So he either did or didn't. That's right. And then he was blamed for it either way and vilified. And apparently we're supposed to hate him until he the is end no of longer time. breathing. Yeah. That's right. And then even after that, if you own an album, you probably oh, yeah. shouldn't. And because he's not America's dad, he can't get a pass from anybody now. And Bill Cosby was America's dad. Well, that's what I'm I mean, just, right? So oh, okay. I just I so I think you and I I know you, and I think we're on the same page with this one. Where yeah, we are. I mean, we this is that whole um, there's no spectrum argument in a, in a Me Too conversation. Um, yeah, who was it? Uh, I had an argument with Minnie Driver, of all people. Um, I know, I know, a couple of years ago because um, the remember I, I don't know if I told you this, but the only star that I ever felt nervous in front of ever, and it's just because he's so nice, is Matt Damon. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I, I met Matt Damon once uh, at a film festival party where he and I watched a drunk woman knock over a platter of shrimp when she tripped. And uh, he owed me a beer because I yeah. bet him that he that she would trip. And I didn't know it was Matt Damon until he handed me the beer. He's like, it's on me, even though it was free. Yeah. And I looked up and I'm like, oh, shit, it's Matt Damon. I was like, thanks, Matt. And then he walked away and I walked away. And it was just like, that was fucking weird. Yeah. And then I met him again because he lived in my neighborhood for a while shooting a movie. And um, and his, his trainer was all uppity with me and, and Matt Damon wasn't because I had helped him the day before. These teenage girls were like, ah, Matt Damon, rah, rah. And uh, she's like, why won't Matt Damon talk to us? And without even looking over, I was like, because he's with his family. And then they walked away. Yeah. And, I, and I just looked back and I gave him a nod like this. And then I saw him. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. And then I saw him the next day and we talked for like 10 minutes and, and it was fine. It was great. Yeah. He's a nice guy. 
Uh, anyways, Minnie Driver, who was his co-star in Goodwill Hunting, yep, was talking about Matt Damon. He was on a show. I don't remember what show it was, but he was talking about. He basically said something like, "Um, obviously men are, are being um, are, are being sort of like uh, rightfully told, you know, how to behave. It's not like we sh- shouldn't know how already, but Me Too has, um, you know, a lot of good." ancillary benefits to it um and then he went he made the big mistake in the woke crowd and qualified his comments by saying however um we should i don't think we should treat rape as the same as like you know um an an unwanted hug or 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 even a smack on the bum it's it's not Mm -hmm. the same thing and mini driver was like i can't believe that matt damon said that and whatever and i'm like don't you think there's a difference between you know uh, an ill-advised attempt at a kiss and rape. And she literally said no. <laughs> right. So I'm like, okay. yeah, I don't know how to argue with that. And I feel like that's sort of the same child, right? Like that, like the Louis CK thing is sort of the same thing. It happened during the Weinstein era. So now there's no difference between Weinstein and Louis CK. And, and, and that was, and that's what they were saying on Twitter. And that's the one that got me was, Oh, well, you know, if we treated, Weinstein the same way we treated Louis CK he he'd still be out there making movies right now and it's like yeah but they didn't they didn't do the same thing at all it'd be like saying I punched a guy in a bar um in the shoulder uh and gave him a bruise or I brutally murdered him in his driveway like it's, yeah. they're not the same thing and, and when it and, and I and I hate I hate it because it sounds like you're victim blame and there is some credit to some of the things that, but it, I think it's just gotten to the point where it's, it became incendiary. And I, I think people just kind of went too far. Yeah. There was a lot of people on Twitter today saying, um, for all you stupid, oh, I love this one. For all those mediocre white men that don't think cancel culture exists yeah, or who think, or who think cancel culture exists, look at Louis CK. And it's like, dude lost like $50 million for for doing that whatever he did mm-hmm. um yeah like we don't have to d- decide on a definition of cancel culture but if we get rid of the buzzword and just be like people are being disproportionately punished for things that they do maybe that is more accurate because 50 million dollars is a big price to pay for what louis ck did it's like I we're think. trying we're trying to pay for the mistakes of the like all the past that w- were covered up, like the Weinstein's, how it was ignored, it, be, right. which is egregious, and which he should fry in hell for eternity for the shit he did, the Bill Cosby's and the you know the the, the dozens of, of women that he he victimized. It's almost like it's almost like we're trying to find a way to make catch up the scoreboard to make sure that we're doing something. Everybody, the, like look at it, it's being done, but it's not being given the scrutiny that it should be given. Yeah. When we put all of our, you know, all of our eggs in, 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 in a basket of, of criminal activity and, and all that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. um, Louis CK was the first one to say, remember we were talking about that last week about how his apology was clearly not written by a public relations firm. Yeah. It, it said the word dick in it three times. So you, you know, it pro- probably wasn't. He probably written, wrote it himself. Probably. But he, but he got the, um, the nuance of what he did wrong, which is what he probably thought that the woke crowd kind of wanted. 
and the people that he made to feel uncomfortable that he was uh, often, you know, um, presenting that idea um, to comedians that weren't as famous as him. Yeah. And that that in and of itself is is kind of was kind of the pro- more more so the problem than anything else. Right. Mm. In a way, because it was like. The power thing. Yeah, yeah power. they felt a little bit powerless. Like they had to sort of say yes, because if they did, it might be good for their career. Which I guess is Louis. Like it's so weird when you start talking like that too, because it's like if I would I would want to teach my son and daughter, you know, that if they were ever in a position where someone in power in a social setting was doing something inappropriate, that they don't have to think of their career. Yeah. <laughs> you know? This is yeah, and that's and that's that's the weirdest part about it for me. And I can't say that, but at the same time, I'm, I've never been, and I'll say I am, am a white straight male that has never been put in that position. And Nazi that, but I mean, <laughs> and, and, and maybe there, and, and there is some privilege in that. There is a privileged ignorance to being say a black female gay comedian. You know what I mean? Like something where there are some, so, where, where they think that they've already kind of gotten over all these hurdles to get where they are. And one thing fucks it up. It's going to be Louis CK jerking off in front of me. I, maybe I should just go through with this. Yeah. That's and, you know, so so yeah. I, I see it. I do understand that. But at the same time, I wouldn't stand in front of a train that's coming towards me to pick up, you know, a, a million dollars knowing that the train's going to hit me. Yeah. Um, because you, I'm in die. that situation, you just keep running and you kick as many bills as you can. So I, I just don't, I, I don't know. I, and to your point about, about the, the PR, um, the, 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 the crisis, uh, management, uh, of, of Louis CK, as opposed to, uh, a Weinstein, I'll bet you, I'll bet. And this is the fucked up part about it, James. And this is because it was such a weird one. I'll bet you there were firms knocking down Weinstein's door to get his business on that. And I'll guarantee you nobody wanted to touch Louis C.K. because they didn't know how to fucking navigate it. Wait, you think that people were knocking down Weinstein's door for what? To, to do the job, to do the job of the of the try to do the PR management to try oh, and, you know, I will right. take we'll we'll, we'll 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 navigate it through. You know, I'm using that word a lot. Yeah, uh, we'll 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 get you through this. Um, whereas opposed to Louis CK, because he had already, you know, admitted to what he had done and, and quasi apologized before making an official statement, they didn't know how to handle it. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Like, know. I don't know. I, I, yeah. That, that could be, I mean, I'm not sure if Louis just wouldn't do it himself anyways, but, but true. The more that I think of it, actually imagine the phone call, uh, Louis CK is online too, to see how he should handle his jerking off scandal. Uh, I'm not here. <laughs> Fun lunch. Don't yeah. call him back. Tell tell him I no longer work here. <laughs> that must be tough. Yeah, I would you know, imagine. But it's one of those things too, where it's like, um, and it, well, one of the things about me too that that kind of you know that made me sort of like crook, made my eyebrow crooked, I guess you would say, is is mm-hmm. the idea that, um, if there was a man or woman who decided to sleep with a director or a producer as a strategy to, to get ahead in their career. Mm-hmm. Not that they were like saying yes to advances, but I mean, well, he, but that were actually like, I'm going to see if I can fuck that, that man. Yeah. yeah. They were still seen as victims. I know. 
And it's like, we weren't even allowed to ask if like, were they willing participants? Because no, God, no, no, you're not. No way. You don't say that. You can't say that. And, and (laughs) it's, it's true. It's, and that was the, the arguments that were happening on Twitter. There was, there was some very cogent responses, but as soon as it comes with somebody with a profile picture, that is a middle-aged white man, you're, you're automatically like this, this (laughs) weird woke thing happened where you were just, you were immediately discredited, even though what you were saying was not a offensive B it was balanced. It did not exonerate Louis CK in the slightest. It didn't say he should have won a Grammy. Why? When, when did we start by the way, with awards, dictating what moral high ground is in this fucking society is beyond me um like oh well if he didn't win the grammy we wouldn't be having this conversation he would have still been nominated but because he won now it's a problem because they gave him a trophy (laughs) were you like me were you like oh the grammys are on (laughs) i had no fucking clue i and i didn't know about louis until like I was, I think it was actually probably during a news break when I was listening to Michael on CFRB today, oh, okay. where he said, "Oh, Louis C.K. won the Grammy for for his album." I'm like, "Oh, that's right, he self released it." And isn't that telling? Where do they get the metrics for that? And what does that say? It says the general population was fine with Louis's album and they liked it, so he got a fucking award for it. Yeah. I think the so. general population, really, because Twitter's not real life, right? We all know that, right? And I think that the general population, like, I've talked to girls about Louis C.K. Same. My wife, and, same yeah. thing. And yeah. they're like, yeah, and, and on the spectrum of one. on the spectrum of sexual misconduct, um, he's not on it. <laughs> like, that's what a lot of girls I know say. Like, they'll, they'll be like, if he is on it, he's way on the side that isn't Harvey Weinstein. Like, to the point where you're like, why are you on this spectrum? Kind of yeah, like if there was a if there was a one to ten, Louis the one and Harvey's the ten. You're absolutely yeah. right, and 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 I think about it, like remember the Aziz Ansari um, fiasco yeah. where all of a sudden because you're famous and you were a bad date or a shitty lay, now I can go after you and like yeah that's... she she gave consent to or she blew him twice yeah. during the night and then wrote like two thousand words about how awful he was or something Mm -hmm. i'm just like and he was almost canceled like almost completely canceled and his reputation is like we're still talking about it here we are talking about we're using him as as an example that's somebody's reputation that got caught into the 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 me too frenzy It, it was interesting when me too was happening when it was like when it was fresh and it was like the now mm-hmm. um cuz i'd have conversations with people about like like i, I I was careful not to say things like, is me too going too far? Because that just sounded like you're just this conservative who wants to say bad things. Yeah. Right? You, want, just, you want to be in it. Uh, yeah. Into, yeah. But I remember like when Steve Pakin mm-hmm. was accused by Sarah Thompson on the very day that it happened, I just quickly wrote like 800 words and went blasted it out, declaring him innocent without <laughs> seeing any evidence because... <laughs> Because I was like, there's no way anybody that knows Steve Pakin. that anyone that knows Steve Pakin thought that he went like this. Sure, Sarah Thompson, you can come back on my show if you fuck me. There's yeah. no way in hell that Steve Pakin ever said that. No, so, of course not. So that's how Steve and I became friends because mm-hmm. um, I wrote it, I posted it, and he contacted me, and he, he was like, 
I just want to say thank you so much for, for saying that. You're like the first person who defended me. I'm like, well, it did happen 10 minutes ago, and I was very pissed off, so that's probably why I was the first. <laughs> but like, but the idea that you, you would do that is is preposterous. But really the most um, compelling thing of, of Steve Pankin's story is that despite me telling him on the phone and we, we had, we'd have lunch together and I'd just be like, I'm telling you, I don't know one person that believes it. Mm-hmm. From his perspective, the walls were still closing in on him because it was in the middle of Me Too, because Twitter being as it is, he found all of the bad comments that were about Mm -hmm. him right away. And he said they didn't stop for like weeks. Oh, I would imagine. And I was just like, so so you're taking a guy that the public largely believes was completely innocent and he still feels helpless. That is sort of like it, 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 it cements everything that I know about how unfair social media is and how it can take something as good as a movement like me too mm-hmm. and, and, and not ruin it. it, but like, sully it, put a, put a sully, tarnish yeah. on it. Yeah. It's, it's like, this is the route we've chosen. This is the, this society has chosen this method of trial and of, uh, like like uh, trial and 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 whatever like uh i'm not going to say verdict but this is how we do it now and i don't know who decided that but it was wrong i think optics i think optics decided it it was very wrong because because you're going to find people with agendas you're going to find people you're going to find a sexual assault victim an actual sexual assault victim who's going to look at the louis ck or the Aziz Ansari situation, the Steve Pakin situation, and vehemently defend the fact that they're predators and they're scum, and they're mm. and because that's from that's from trauma, like that's a trauma, that's trauma, and they, sh- they that's how they view the world now. Yeah, but that's you know, I, I, you know I, I found that a lot of people that defend Pakin and CK and people like that are people who have been assaulted before yeah. because they're like, um, they're, I guess there are two they camps. They're cheapened. Well, right. But so there's the trauma camp and you feel bad for them and you feel like they're being sort of egged on into a direction that's not healthy for them, right? By mm-hmm. by not really considering a spectrum of offenses or whatever. But then there are the ones that are like, I was legit traumatized. So I don't understand why I had to feel sorry for a woman who gave permission for Louis C.K. to do that in front of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why, why am I, why are we in the same camp? I was raped and this woman had to watch a ginger jerk off. And the worst part about it is that he's a ginger. Like it's not even the jerking off part. It's like, you know, he's, that is traumatic. He has orange eyelashes. You got to be wary of those people, you know? Yeah. It's okay. They're white. It's fine. I can say whatever I want. Yeah, that's right. Ryan Lindley from the sheeple shepherd podcast. Are you going back on air soon with that buddy? We are. We're uh, we're we're talking. Um, we're doing some some things. We have a, a really cool cult special that we've been working on for a little while. It's taking a lot of production time to do, but the we woke will be crowd? back with it. Sorry, the woke crowd cult. Is that what you're doing, or an <laughs> no. actual cult? Just yeah, no, just actual the history of cults and, oh, and cool. how far back it goes, like the actual occult idea and why it's effective in pushing uh agendas of of either one person or one group and it's uh yeah awesome yeah should have awesome. some note this spring I'm, um well it is the spring so yeah i'm already late summer. <laughs> Gotta say summer, yeah. <laughs> well listen buddy um thanks for thanks for coming on i really appreciate it 
Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you on the Dean Blundell podcast. I guess. Are you on this week? Yeah, I'm. Uh, this is my week on, so uh, I will be. I will be there. And good luck to you tomorrow. By the way, why? What's tomorrow? Your oh, right. You tomorrow. Yes. Um, I, I was gonna. I was gonna let people know when you when you left, but I'll let them know now that tomorrow. I'm gonna actually, leave. I, I'm gonna leave because this is not gonna be good for anybody. I love you, and uh, <laughs> I'm hungry too. I gotta okay, go. Okay, go, go ahead, buddy. Thanks, Take care, man. Ryan Lindley. Thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, Ryan was alluding to this. For tomorrow. That's right. David Amber, the uh, the lawyer for Randy Hillier, uh, will be on the show tomorrow. Um, Randy Hillier won't do my show because it's affiliated with Dean Blundell, whom he hates more than anything in the entire world. Um, and so, but David apparently is cool with it. I hope David doesn't tell Randy that he's doing the show because then he might cancel last minute. Uh, but either way, that's tomorrow, April 5th at 630. Uh, David Amber, lawyer for Randy Hillier will be on the show. And I would like to say thank you to my guest, Michael Geist, and to Ryan Lindley as well for joining us. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for watching Black Belt. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. <laughs>